0: Revelation chapter 3, the last of the seven letters, the letter to the church of Laodicea. Now, friends, it is entirely possible for a church to simply wither away. It's entirely possible for a church to just wither away. A local church, a group of churches, a denomination, an individual Christian, for one reason or another, they'll lose their passion, they'll drift from the truth of Jesus Christ. And they will simply slip into meaninglessness as far as the kingdom of God is concerned. Now, we've seen this kind of warning inside of the rest of these letters. Christ has even warned us that he would remove those candlesticks if the church did not endure. But now this particular warning becomes explicit as we read this letter. Laodicea is not a case of false teaching or of persecution, at least as we know inside of the letter, but of a lukewarm death. The last of these seven letters to Laodicea acts as a kind of final note of warning before the rest of the book, and it acts as a reason for self-examination for every one of us. Now, The local culture and geography of every letter has played a role. Uh, Sometimes a great big role in these letters, sometimes not quite as much. The local culture and city in Laodicea plays a great big role in how Jesus talks to this city. So let's get a feel for some of the things that are going to show up inside of this letter. First of all, the city of Laodicea was built on a trade route, So the city, over time, becomes a very wealthy city. A lot of trade, crossroads coming through. A lot of that's happening inside of the city. It becomes a wealthy city. Now, it was built for trade. It was not built next to a water source, which is far more common in ancient cities, built next to water. So the city of Laodicea has literally piped its water in from two other local cities, The city of Laodicea and the ranchers around them ranched a rare form of sheep that had black wool, so they were known for this fine black woolen fabric that they would create. That becomes part of the story of the letter to Laodicea. And also, is sort of an ironic little twist here, the city was known for its eye doctors. A famous ancient Greek eye doctor developed a salve, an ointment, to fix certain eye diseases, did it in Laodicea, so people with eye diseases would travel to Laodicea for their eye doctors. Okay, So we get a glimpse into some of the local color of this culture, and Jesus is going to reference all of this inside of this letter. Now, this last letter of the seven leaves us with some really important things to hear as we continue to learn what it means to be an enduring church for Jesus Christ. And the first is where we've started the church can crumble from within. It turns out, especially with Laodicea, their wealth lulled them into a false sense of self sufficiency. We have pretty much everything we need. We're able to take care of every physical and material need we can think of. And so the spiritual need begins to creep into the background. They grow dull to their spiritual need. Anything that puts us to sleep, anything that causes us to lose our fire for the gospel of Jesus Christ can rot us from the inside out. This is part of the warning of this letter to Laodicea. So the church can crumble from within. And then we hear this, and it's one of the more beautiful moments early in the book of Revelation. It's a moment you know is in the Bible, but you're not exactly sure where. Well, it's here in the letter of the church of Laodicea. A lukewarm church needs to respond to the call of Christ. He's going to say, I stand at the door and I knock. Now, Christ is brutally honest with the church that's falling away. But he still loves them, and he still calls out to them, and he still calls for their repentance. What he calls for is zeal and repentance, passion for Christ, repentance for their sins, and all of that is going to lead them back into life. So the church needs to learn how to respond to the call of Jesus Christ. And then finally, I want to make sure that we spend time with this. We've heard it in every letter. We hear it again with Laodicea. We need to hear what the Spirit says to His church. Every letter ends this way. Everything that Christ has to say to the church, if it's encouragement, if it is conviction, is the voice of the Spirit of God. So we need to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church Am I listening to God's Spirit? Do I know, even know how? Do I even know how to do that? Are we, as the body of Christ, listening to what the Spirit has to say to His church, even right now? Well, let's read the letter, Revelation chapter three, beginning in verse fourteen. The letter goes like this: "And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, writes the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation." If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, which is a matter of fact in the book of Revelation is the very next thing we read. I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness. This is who speaks to you now, Laodicea. This is who speaks to you now, church. Christ is the Amen. It's a cool little note about who Jesus is, this this word that is an emphasis of a solemn truth. So be it. This is so great. All I can say is amen. So be it. It emphasizes a solemn truth. Christ is the amen. In fact, if you read through the rest of the book and you go to the last couple of verses in the book of Revelation, it ends with the repetition of the word amen and amen. Surely I am coming soon, says the Lord, And John just replies by saying, amen, so be it. Come, Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. The voice of the great amen, the faithful and the true witness, now speaks to you. See, the witness at Laodicea was nearly gone. It was, and I'm going to continue to use this word this morning, it was useless for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So now the voice of the faithful and the true witness speaks. And they are reminded, we are reminded in this letter, that we follow the one who bore witness all the way to the cross, to the truth of his heavenly Father. Jesus says here at the end of verse 21, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on the throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne. Let us never lose sight of this fact that you and I in this life are people who follow Jesus Christ to his cross. And then we follow Jesus Christ out of the tomb and into resurrection and into life. I'm the faithful and true witness. This is who you follow. I conquered, and now I sit on the throne. This is the Jesus who speaks to us now. And then he says this, and this is always interesting in in, in translation, and we need to make sure we understand what Christ is talking about. The beginning of God's creation. I am the one who speaks to you. That word beginning, the beginning of God's creation, it's an important Greek word. It's important that we understand it. The Greek word means the person who commences, the one who begins. It's a word that means the origin of. So Jesus is not the first thing that God created. He is the origin of all creation. He is the one by whom all things are created, Now, it's interesting that Jesus calls himself this. He uses this language as he speaks to Laodicea because there is another letter in the New Testament that was also written to the church at Laodicea. Now, that letter is actually called Colossians. Now, if you read the book of Colossians, at the end of the book in chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says, as soon as you're done reading the letter to the church in Colossae, send it to Laodicea so that the church of Laodicea can hear this letter as well. Now part of what makes that interesting, especially in connection to the letter here in the book of Revelation, is the way Colossians opens up and talks about who Jesus is in relationship to all of creation and in relationship to the church, the body of Jesus Christ. And here's part of what had to be corrected. So the church in Colossae, the church at Laodicea, needed to have false doctrine corrected, and this was part of it. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16 say this, He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Not meaning the first one born, but the one by whom all is born. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. There is no other God, there is no other ideology that can claim any of this. So we remember, this is the Jesus who speaks to us. This is the Jesus we belong to. This is the Jesus that we follow. So then we walk into the body of the letter and and every every body of the letter begins with those same words, I know. I know your works, you're neither cold nor, nor hot so now Jesus speaks specifically to the lukewarm church and this friends is the worst position for a church to be in we've read throughout these letters as we walked through that that incredible little book the book of Jude we saw several things if false teaching is a problem Well, then deal with false teachers. Recognize it as false teaching. Make sure you contend for the faith. Make sure you have mercy for those who are stumbling and don't know what's going on. But if there's false teaching, point it out, deal with it, get rid of it. If there's persecution, we've read that through several of the letters in Revelation so far. If there's persecution, if it's becoming hard to follow Jesus Christ, then there is this encouragement, don't give up. Don't let go of Jesus Christ. We've read it a couple of times in these letters. Hang on tightly to what you have because I am coming soon. So if there's persecution, don't give up on Jesus Christ. But this... This is just a church that's grown cold and useless for the cause of Jesus Christ. It dawns on me, friends. It dawns on me. Is this church in Laodicea maybe too much like the world for the world to even care enough about it to be bothered by it? Is this church maybe just fine in the eyes of the world? Does the rest of the culture look at this church and go, you know what, we're really not bothered by anything that they do or believe. They really don't stick out enough. Friends, if the world that hates Jesus Christ by nature, by nature we are enemies of Jesus Christ, If the world that by nature hates Jesus Christ is just fine with my Christianity, what's wrong is my Christianity. Does that make sense? What's wrong is me. I've grown cold. I've grown lukewarm. If the world is not bothered by me following Jesus Christ, I have ceased to follow Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, friends, the pressure is increasing constantly in the world that is around you and me right now to stop following jesus christ and to follow jesus the way the world wants us to follow jesus christ if it's false teaching do one thing if it's a persecution do another but what we have here is a church that's just rotting from within and there needs to be serious work done inside of the heart of this church, inside of the heart of these individual Christians. Something from the inside out needs to profoundly change. So Jesus says, you're neither cold nor hot. You're a lukewarm church. I wish that you were either cold or hot. Be one of the two, but don't be this lukewarm church. Now here again is where this letter makes sense to the people who originally read it the Christians who live in Laodicea. So we mentioned it earlier on. Laodicea was built for trade. It wasn't built for water. So it doesn't have its own natural water supply. So it's piping in water from two other cities, along pipes and along ancient Roman aqueducts. One of those cities is Colossae. Now Colossae, it turns out, has this fresh water spring. So it's cold, fresh, drinkable water that comes out of Colossae. The other nearby town is a town called Hierapolis. Now Hierapolis is built next to this great big hillside and out of that hillside are coming these hot springs. So they were famous for their hot springs. We still today, every now and then, we make our trek and we go sit in the hot springs because it's a great little thing to do, right? But Hierapolis has the hot springs. Colossae has the cold, fresh water springs. Laodicea is bringing water from both of those places. And by the time the water, cold water from Colossae gets to Laodicea, it's lukewarm. By the time the hot water gets from Hierapolis to Laodicea, it's lukewarm. And in many cases, it's just undrinkable. The water, in fact, from Hierapolis, because it was a hot spring, was full of chemicals. And if you drank the wrong water... Those chemicals act like ipecacs. They cause you to vomit. In fact, that's the word that is used in the Greek when Jesus says, I will spit you out of my mouth. It means I vomit when I taste you. I'm telling you, this is the worst position for a church to be in. Now, here's the point though the cold water in Colossae was great, the hot water in Hierapolis was great for what you used it for. But by the time it got to Laodicea, it was good for neither. Jesus says, if you're cold and fresh and drinkable, great, be that. If you're a hot water spring that's good for these other things, great, be that. Just don't be what you are. To be lukewarm is to be useless for the cause of Christ. But to be lukewarm is to be perfectly useful for the enemy of our souls. It is to be perfectly useful for the enemy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Christ begins to press on this. says, you know, in fact, some of you have drank out of the wrong water jug and you have vomited because you drank the wrong water. That's what you taste like to me. Don't be lukewarm. Then he says, there's more going on here. You say, I am rich. You say I have everything that I need. You say you have, uh, you've taken care of all of your needs, but in fact, I know you as poor. You think you're rich, I know you as poor. So I counsel from you. This is what I advise you to do. Buy from me the kinds of things that don't tarnish, that don't fade away, that in the end are useless. Buy from me eternal things, gold refined by fire. The city was wealthy. Apparently the church was wealthy too. And their wealth created a problem for them. They developed this false sense of self-sufficiency. It really is true, friends, that we can reach a point as individuals, as a church, even as a culture sliding into decadence. We can reach a point where the abundance of our material goods dulls us to our spiritual needs. We have every temporary need taken care of and more, so our eternal needs fade into the background. We don't feel them anymore. We don't feel the need to take care of them anymore. Now, biblically speaking, friends, money and wealth by themselves, that's not the problem. But if we bow our knee to money, money becomes our God. If we bow our knee to God, money can be used for the kingdom of God. It is who is in charge inside of this heart and inside of this life. Poverty, even if it's just perceived poverty, I don't have nearly as much as fill in the blank. That kind of poverty can create envy and destroy the virtue of gratitude for everything that we do have. And then wealth, even perceived wealth, I have more than all of these other people, can lead to this spiritual dullness and destroy humility before Jesus Christ. I need you. I need you. I need you. This song that we sing from time to time needs to be real to us. Lord, I need you more. More. I need you more. Things can dull us to our spiritual needs. So the solution to this lukewarm church, Jesus says, come to me and buy what only I can give. Buy from me gold that is refined by fire. It reminds me of this, this beautiful little passage at the end of book, the book of Isaiah, and it's written in such a way, and Old Testament prophets do this sometimes. It's designed to sort of make us sort of hit the clutch and go, "Wait a second, what was that? What was it? What, what's going on here? But he's saying the same thing, Isaiah 55 verses one and two: "Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat." Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Who bought it? Jesus Christ bought it. And now we come to him and we receive what only he can give. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? True bread. And your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me. And eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Speaking to a lukewarm, cold church that's grown dull to their spiritual need, God says, you need to come to me and buy what only I can give you. Friends, everything we own, everything we eat, everything we clothe ourselves with, all of this passes away But our spiritual need is both now and forever. And only God meets that need. They produced some of the region's finest wool. Many of them had probably become wealthy, ranching and selling that wool. And Jesus says, you know what? You're naked. I don't care how many times you clothe yourselves with that. You need different kinds of garments. White garments from me to clothe your nakedness and your shame. This is a city full of eye doctors that can fix things that no one else in that world can fix. And Jesus says, you know what? You're blind. None of that's going to fix it for you. You need from me the kind of salve that will open your spiritual eyes, that will open your eyes morally, intellectually, spiritually to me. Friends, this is a huge problem, a huge problem right now. How blind so many of us are to just the truth itself. The book of Proverbs is full of this kind of wisdom. One of those places is in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. A man who was as wealthy as a human being could possibly be in his day, a man who received visitors from foreign lands who themselves thought they were wealthy, and when they showed up into the court of King Solomon, they were amazed at how wealthy this man was, has this to say. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better gain from silver and her profit better than gold. Let me tell you, I know what kind of profit you get from gold and wealth. And it's better if you get the wisdom and the understanding of the Lord. Buy from me, God says. The enduring church needs to keep its eyesight clear. We need to keep the ultimate and absolute and life-transforming value of the gospel of Jesus Christ above all other goods, above any acclaim or acceptance we might receive from the world, any success at the expense of the gospel of Jesus Christ, all of it pales in comparison to what the gospel gives us. All of it pales in comparison to what the kingdom of God is. Is like so Christ has said all of this to this lukewarm church you're not cold you're not hot you're not clothed you can't see and he says but those whom I love I reprove and I discipline this letter with nothing positive to say about this church is an act of love from God who does not want to see his church fail. When God spoke to the church at Philadelphia, it's all positive. It's an act of love from God to that church to encourage them in certain ways. When God speaks to Laodicea and there's nothing positive to say about that church it is an act of love for God to show up and knock on this door and say listen to me listen to me wake up church be zealous and repent. Scripture tells us that God does these kinds of things with his children whom he loves. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 5 and 6. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses, or have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. God's correction is the correction of a loving parent. You're going the wrong direction. I am walking you walk down a. I'm watching you walk down a path that will lead to nothing but destruction and death. You're blind to how it's destroying your life now, and you continue to walk down this path. In the book of Hosea, Hosea prays that God will actually create. Um, create rows of thorns around his children so that they can only walk in one direction without pain and that is toward Jesus Christ, toward their God. But if they turn in either direction, there'll just be pain and pain and pain and pain. It is the love of God to correct his children. It is the love of God to correct his children. So he says, those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. So, be zealous and repent. Be zealous and repent. Friends, passion for Christ and repentance of sin is our way out of lukewarm uselessness. It's our way out individually as local churches. as entire denominations continue to go lukewarm around us all the time, Christ says, what I need you to do is be zealous and repent, and it's our way out. Is there any passion in us for Jesus himself? Is there any movement, any stirring, any zeal inside of us for just who Jesus is? Is there any passion in me for the things of Jesus Christ? What does he teach about this? What is his life like? What does he tell his disciples? What does his resurrection do for me? What does it mean that he is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of all creation? What does this mean? Is there any passion in me for this? And if I can be honest with you, the way that this zeal and passion is showing up for me right now is pain. Watching falsehood be so dominant in our culture right now brings me pain because the way God built me is that I am in love with the truth of Jesus Christ. And so to watch falsehood, to watch people walk the wrong direction, is painful. Sometimes that's just how this zeal shows up. Be zealous and repent. Repent. You've probably been paying attention to this with me throughout these letters. Christ tells us, he tells the church, he tells sometimes individuals inside of these seven letters to repent eight times constantly telling his church repent this is your way out this is your way through there is sin and brokenness inside of all of us whatever it is and however it looks like I need you to repent turn away from that and turn toward me Christ is telling this over and over to his church We cannot endure in the truth or be a witness of Jesus Christ if we are blinded by our own self sufficiency, if we are blinded by our own sin, if we have actually become lukewarm, we will not endure. So Christ says, I need you to repent. And the question that every one of us needs to answer is how do I need to repent? What's going on inside of here? Where have I grown blind? Where have I grown lukewarm? Where have I become slothful in my faith? Where have I grown far too accepting of the way of this world? Lord, show it to me. Lord, show it to me so that I can repent and by the work and the grace of the Spirit of God walk further into the kingdom of God and away from the kingdom of this world. Be zealous and repent. And then he says... Respond to me. What a beautifully intimate image for a church of whom nothing good is said. We have this very powerful image. I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. And if any one of you hears it and opens the door... I'm going to slap you up one side and down the other. It's not what he says. It's not what he says. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to eat with you. I'm going to fellowship with you. I'm going to become a part of your family. It's a symbol of intimacy. It's a symbol often of reconciliation when friends who have broken friendships sit down and break bread together. Listen, church, who's grown lukewarm, he says, If you hear me knock, I will come in, and we will be family. Isn't this beautiful? This is the heart of Jesus Christ. So if we respond to him, he will break bread with us. It reminded me of a parable in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 36. Jesus says this, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Be like these men and women who are waiting for Christ to show up. Then when he knocks on the door, we open and he comes in. Christ does not overwhelm us. He does not force himself. He knocks and he calls because he wants our hearts to respond in willing love to him. Isn't that interesting? He wants us to respond to him. Now, the lukewarm, the cold of heart cannot respond. They cannot muster up the passion to follow Jesus Christ. A lukewarm church is actually very easy for the world and for our enemy to lead around by the nose. That kind of church, that kind of Christian, very quickly makes the decision to go along to get along. But Christ is saying something different. I'm here. I'm speaking. Respond. And we'll find the kingdom of God. We'll find grace. We'll find everything that you need if you let me in. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Every letter, every situation, every positive, every encouragement, every warning, every frustration, all of it, listen to the voice of the Spirit of the Lord because He is speaking. It's shown up every single time, so what I want to make sure as we conclude this time together and and, and conclude this series with this seventh letter that we sit on this for a second and we listen to it and we pay attention to to what this means and what this is like so some thoughts about this that we need to listen to what the spirit says to his church and the first is this it's really simple maybe we haven't even thought about it like this before the spirit of God is among us speaking to us we need to actually believe that that's true Not some sort of esoteric reality, not something that belonged 2,000 years ago, not something that happens to other people, but actually, literally, I don't say that metaphorically, I use the word literally, literally. (laughs) Literally, the Spirit of God is here right now speaking to His church. Are we ready to listen? We need to believe that that is true, that God is constantly communicating through His Word, through the presence of the Spirit, through the body of Christ, through our prayers, through the way that He speaks to us. God is communicating to us by the presence of God with us, His Holy Spirit. So we need to believe that that is true. We need to actually know that that is true. We also need to recognize this. The voice of the world around us is louder. It just is more people. We give more airtime to the voice of the world. We give more social media time to the voice of the world. We give more cable news time to the voice of the world. The voice of the world is just louder. So you and I have to actually deliberately shut it out and learn to listen to the voice of God through His Word, through corporate worship, through time and prayer, Through spending time with other Christians that we trust and know and love, we're learning to listen to a different voice because the voice of the world is so loud. And then this, we discern Him when we are together. We discern Him when we are together. Inside our families, inside of small friend groups, inside of our small groups, When we gather as the body of Christ and we worship and we pray and we open up God's Word, what we're doing is we're discerning the voice of the Lord among us. This is why we give so much time to worship and Word. It's a very straightforward service structure that we have for this very purpose. So that we just give this time to the Holy Spirit. Allow Him to speak and say the things that He wants to speak. So we try not to waste our time together. We worship, we open the Word, and we pray. It's one of the reasons it's so important for us to have the rhythm of reading the Word of God and praying and of gathering together as often as we can. And then we learn to discern His voice as an individual child of God. There's an interesting dynamic. Um, It's actually been studied. It has a name. I don't even know what the name of it is, but... You've probably noticed this. You can recognize the voice of your spouse in a loud, crowded room. You hear the timbre of that voice. There there are two dozen other people talking. There are several other conversations going on. There's a lot of other noise, but a voice that is important to you and a voice that you are accustomed to cuts through the crowd and you hear it. So there's a lot of noise in our world today, but a voice that we love A voice that's grown important to us, a voice that's actually near and dear to us, can cut through all of that. And we can hear the voice of the Lord in the midst of all the rest of that. It really can happen. And it really is what Jesus wants. We're learning to discern his voice as an individual child of God. And then, friends, it's straightforward and it's simple but we have to end this way because this is what Jesus says. We need to respond. Being lukewarm means that we won't. It might even mean that our heart is in a state where we don't even know how to do that. We don't want to do that. So he says, be zealous. Repent. Open the door. Open the door of your life. So we need to respond. We need to respond in prayer, in the Word, in worship. We respond to the voice of God at work. We respond to the voice of God when we are with our family. It's like the young Samuel who heard the voice of the Lord, but he didn't know what it was, and he received this great advice from an old crotchety priest. He says, the next time you hear that voice, just say this, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Let that be inside of your prayer this week. Let that be inside of your heart and mind when you open the Word of God, when you show up next Sunday to Easter, when you show up to your small... Whatever it is, let that be in your heart. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it takes silence. Sometimes it takes a lot of time in the Word of the Lord. Sometimes it takes long conversation with other Christians we trust but it is an active listening. Speak, Lord, for your servant is paying attention to what you have to say. This is what the enduring church does. This is what the enduring church has to do. We do it for our sake. And friends, we do it for the sake of the rest of the world. Whether the world knows it or not, it needs a church that endures, that refuses to grow lukewarm, that is zealous that repents it invites the presence of the lord into everything that we do there's new life and it's only through jesus christ